When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, Brandon here. Before we get started, I just wanted to give a quick update on the good newspaper. Most of you guys know, but for those of you who don't know, we are making a newspaper full of good news. It's amazing, it's exciting, and it's on Kickstarter. Within three days of the good newspaper being on Kickstarter, we had raised 100% of our funds, and we're still growing. The Kickstarter only has a little bit more than one week left, and so really, this is your chance to join and subscribe to The Good Newspaper. After The Good Newspaper ends, it's going to be available online, but it's going to be a little bit more expensive. So this is the best place to subscribe to The Good Newspaper. And there are some amazing goodies. We've got a Good News pin that's a special edition collab with our good friend Adam JK, who's a previous podcast guest. It's this pin that says Good News. It's a newspaper. It's amazing. I've been wearing mine every day since the shipment came in. You should totally get that one. Uh, but if you know pins aren't your style, we've got this super cool tote bag that is a reminder to you and, and more so the people around you of the importance of celebrating good news and becoming good news. And then we've also got cool ways for you to uh, give yourself or your company or your favorite nonprofit a shout out with a classified ad in the good newspaper. There are lots more cool rewards on the Kickstarter page. The best way to check it out is goodnewspaper.co. And again, there's only a little bit more than a week left. So don't forget, don't get left in the dust. Go subscribe to the Good Newspaper and join our community of people celebrating good news and then seeking to become good news. One more time, that is goodnewspaper.co. At the beginning of the year, I read this study from the folks who created Sesame Street. They were researching this idea of kindness and where kindness sits in the world that we live today. And they found that we're in the midst of a kindness deficit. They found that two-thirds of parents, 66% of them, worried that the world is an unkind place for their children. And for teachers, that number was 86%. Personally, I've always found this idea of kindness to be a little bit too simplistic or cheesy, Um, or at least that's what I used to think until I read this study. I started thinking about how important kindness is. I started thinking about how the little things in life add up and how they really matter in the lives of children. But really, I mean, anything that matters in the lives of children matters in the lives of other people because really... We're all just grown-up children, which sounds goofy, uh, but it's true. And at our core, we are. So I've been thinking a lot about kindness over the last few months. I've been thinking a lot about kindness since January. And I'm so excited for this week's guest on Sounds Good. 
This is a podcast where we have conversations about things that matter. We have conversations about mental health and overcoming struggles in life and uh, how to make a difference in the lives of people around us. And our guest this week, Orly Waba, she lives into all of these things. She lives into every single aspect that Sounds Good is about. She's struggled through mental health. She's overcome obstacles that I can't even imagine. And she's actually living out this idea of making a difference in the world. And specifically, she's living out this idea of making a difference in the world through kindness. But kindness is not cheesy. Like in, in Orly's mind, kindness is not cheesy. It is the response that is necessary when you have gone through the things that she's gone through because she knows that other people are going through those things and those tiny little moments of kindness, those tiny little things that you can do for somebody make a huge difference. And, you know, over the last few months, I've been thinking a lot about kindness, my mindset around kindness and uh, this idea that it's cheesy. I've been slowly dismantling it, but this was the topper. This episode changed the game for me. And so, oh my gosh, I just cannot wait for you guys to get to know Orly. A few quick things about Orly really quick before we jump in. Orly is a former teacher. She's an entrepreneur. She's an author. She's a community activist. She was a speaker at TED and she is the founder and CEO of Life Vest Inside, an organization dedicated to kindness. So without any further ado, I just want to jump straight into this idea of kindness and Orly's story. And oh my gosh, you're just going to love her. Here we go. So I heard that you had jury duty today. I actually had jury duty. So originally I I had scheduled for earlier and then um, got the jury duty notice. And I'm like, okay, that's next week. Exactly. during, And I've never actually had jury duty. That's never happened before. So uh, I had no idea what to expect. And some people were telling me, like, yeah, you could be there all day till like 5 o'clock. So I said, all right. But I brought my computer with me, and I got so much work done because basically you, you, can't, you, know, you can't be talking and you can't be like on the phone or whatever. So it's just focused work the entire day. Uh, so it was great. I got a lot done, and it wasn't, it wasn't bad at all. And then they had let us go at around uh, 4.30. So did you get jury duty? Did you get called in? No, you had to show up to see if you were selected. And then they basically called me in two times for to, to potentially be part of two different you know, juries. And it just didn't work out because of the dates. Because, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm traveling a lot now, especially because of the book, uh, my book that just came out. So I've been going and speaking in different in schools and in companies. So the dates that they wanted, I was just I was like, listen, here's what's going on during those dates. I don't know what to tell you, but you know, it, it was it was they were it was very cool. It was super super easy, and actually, I seriously got so much work done. So if you want to get crazy amount of work done, go go to jury duty. <laughs> That's awesome. And it was I got to tell you at the end. So this woman comes on the loudspeaker and she's and she's talking. I wish I could have recorded her because. Because she was the sweetest person ever. Seriously. Like usually when you go to things like this, it could be annoying and people get it. She was so sweet and she was basically thanking everybody for being so, you know, patient and so and really very cooperative and telling us, you know, this is what this is the reason that you only have to come now every eight years is because everybody cooperates here in this location and people come and whatever. And she's like, tell your friends that it's not as bad as they think. It was the cutest <laughs> speech ever. I wish I could have recorded it. I was like, oh, wow. That's amazing. That totally just made me smile. Yeah, it was, it was uh, so a good experience of jury duty. 
That's good. That's really good to hear. And I think the fact that you uh, that you went to jury duty and you had a fantastic day today is like super fun. <laughs> oh, there's always an awesome day, an awesome story in every situation. The truth, I mean, that's really how I live my life. So I always know there's going to be something exciting that comes up, even from something that seems as boring as jury duty. I was waiting for it, you know. That I'm telling you, that talk at the end, that little, you know, that little speech that she gave, it just made my whole day. I was smiling from ear to ear. That's incredible. That makes me so happy. Along those lines, um, tell me about your life growing up. Were you always uh, this optimistic? Did you always have this mentality that there's always something awesome in every day? Was that kind of... Were you born with that? I got to tell you, it's really been a part of me ever since I can remember. Whenever I tell a story, I always say, you know, back when I remember being a four-year-old kid. I really do remember being a four-year-old kid. And I always had a passion and desire to bring people together. Always had a very, very uh, positive outlook. And I guess a lot of it comes from really having a very strong faith-based, like my, my dad specifically, he always empowered me to believe that anything is possible and that you can achieve anything that you put your mind to and, and that each person has a specific reason and a purpose in this world. So even from a young age as being like four years old, I always dreamed, I always felt that there was something major I was meant to do in my life, something that was going to truly change the world in a really impactful way. And it all had to do with this concept and this idea of kindness and uniting people and helping people see beyond the labels, you know, beyond those boundaries, not understanding, you know, why religious animosity or, you know, political animosity or whatever, why animosity in itself uh, exists, why people actually can't come together. And I always felt a very strong passion and desire to be part of the solution to bringing them together. Uh, so it's always been, I've always been one of those people that said everything happens for a reason. Sometimes it's not easy to see it. And that doesn't mean that there haven't been tough times and times where, uh, you know, I've been down. Everybody, everyone is going to experience those downs. It's, it's impossible to always be optimistic. But the idea is that even when you experience those hardships, to be able to tap back into that light within yourself and, and recognize that even though we can't understand where it's going to end, everything has its specific place. It's not always easy to say it when it's first happening. And of course, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. but everything really does have its place. And the more we look for the good, the more good we're going to see. So the more we look for the good opportunities that could potentially come up within our day, the likelihood is we're going to see that good because, you know, after all, like attracts like. Mm. Was there a time growing up where it was harder for you to remain optimistic or uh, like a moment where you're like, man, it is just hard to see what's good in this crappy situation? Was there, because I think that to have a mentality like that, to have a belief in that, you have to believe it and then you have to have that belief destroyed and then exactly. you have to build it back up stronger. And I would imagine because you believe it so strongly that that happened at some point for you. You, you said it exactly. And the way I was always, always explain it is, you know, you first have to, you have to believe like you said, and then you have to find your way back to that specific belief because the minute that you take ownership of it, if you believe in something just because somebody else tells you to believe in it, then you can lose that belief. But when you believe in something and then, like you said, it gets destroyed and you have to find your way back there, it becomes so strong that nobody else can take it away. That's exactly, uh, in a sense, how my story played out. So yeah, I always did ha have that you know, optimism and that belief. But yes, definitely was challenged many times in my, my childhood. Probably the greatest of those times happened in my adolescent years when I was in high school. 
And as it is, high school is already a tough time. I was 15 years old, and that's sort of the age, you know, your sophomore year, where it's, you know, you're not a freshman, so you're not just starting off, you're not like a senior, you're like sort of in the middle, in this middle phase. And so as it is, it's hard figuring out who you are and what your place is within it all. And I was a very shy kid. And when I say shy, I mean like insanely shy. I had very, very low confidence due to uh, some hardships I went through in my middle school years, sort of being left out from my group of friends and really retracting and coming into myself, like going into myself and not having that confidence that I really mattered or had value. But that and followed did the middle me school my- years kind of change who, were you shy before your middle school years and uh, it made it worse or was it that you were bubbly and, and outgoing and then what happened in middle school kind of shut you down? So really middle school was definitely a big factor there. I was always very bubbly and you know, out there with my family. I was always pretty, I was always shy amongst friends, but I built up that confidence in my elementary years. And then my, like, I remember my sixth grade year was awesome. I really, really came into my own. I built that confidence within myself because school was very, very difficult for me as a kid. It was very difficult for me to learn. Uh, when I was, when I was in third grade, I wasn't able to read even at that age. And I was placed in like a separate class in a resource room where they'd pull me out from all my friends and I'd have to learn in a much smaller setting. And that made me feel very self-conscious. I always had a lot of people saying, oh, you can't, you can't do this, you can't do that. And I felt, I really felt inadequate. Uh, and a, a teacher, my third grade resource room teacher, I'll never forget this, one day she came to class and she gave us a poem. And she said, I want you to take this poem and I want you to decorate it. I mean, so we were in third grade. You know, I took it, I put it on a piece of, you know, pink construction paper, you know, put some sprinkle, you know, sparkles on it and stuff, but I also read it. And I, I read it once, twice, 10, 20 times. And the truth of the matter is that poem stuck with me till this very day. And I honestly, I called on that poem at several times in my life to help uplift me. And the poem goes as follows. If you think you can't do it, you can't. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you'd like to win, but think you can't, it's almost a cinch you won't. If you think you'll lose, you're lost. For out in this world, we find success begins with a fellow's will. It's all in a state of mind. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or faster man. For sooner or later, the man who wins is the one who thinks he can. This poem, I can't tell you, is by Walter D. Wintle. It spoke to me in ways that I can't begin to explain to you. And I really started to build up my confidence. And because of a teacher in my fourth grade year that saw something within me that I didn't see yet within myself, suddenly everything just sort of clicked into focus. And I was able to learn so much so that in just one grade, I moved up three cl- class levels because I believe no in that. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, it was crazy. Wow. It's really, I, I'm a very big believer, and that's why I, you know, I became a middle school teacher. I was a middle school teacher for seven years. I believe that anybody can learn. It's just how you teach them and how you connect to them. And so that confidence began to, to grow. And in my sixth grade year, I was feeling much more confident about who I was, not just academically, but also socially. I had my great group of friends and all seemed great. And then in my seventh grade year, I came back into school, seventh grade year, right after the summer. And I got to tell you, literally every single one of my friends turned on me. Well, the Mm. girls, I was always a tomboy. I always loved playing sports. I was friendly also with the boys, but like they, they, but it hurts. It hurts in a way that I don't know how to describe, but they literally turned on me and they just made me feel super isolated. 
to the point where it was like, you know, I would call to get together and then they would make like, oh, yeah, they're not getting together this week. And then I'd find out that they were all went somewhere and they're left behind my back. I literally, it was one of those years where I was going to the nurse's office almost every single day wanting my mom to sign me out of school. It was really terrible. And I sort of just completely just went, retracted right into myself and felt very, very self-conscious. And that continued with me into my high school years. And my sophomore year, that was a big shift for me that happened. We, in the very beginning of the year, we had a fire in my house. Oh, wow. And we lost everything. Wow. But I got to tell you, it was not just the fire and losing you know, everything. Now, again, thankfully, we were all okay. I'm one of five siblings. That's good. So we were all okay physically. But when you're a kid and you're that age and just, you know, your home is sort of, it's your base, you know what I'm saying? And the memories that you that you have, the pictures, all those, you know, it, it, it it's, does something to you when you lose your home. But it wasn't just the home. It was sort of one of those years where everything that, you know, could go wrong went wrong. And when you thought, oh, it can't get worse than this, it, it got worse and it kept getting worse. My dad had lost his business. And one thing after the next continued to make this snowball effect. It was very, very hard. I was always a big believer that everything happened for a reason. So much so I even made a joke about it when I came to school the next day. I'll never forget. Came to school and I started laughing. I'm like, oh yeah, guys, my house burned down last night. You know, I was really really trying to stay as positive as possible because yeah, when you see it was your, almost a like coping mechanism. Yeah, it is, I it is. Imagine. Because when you see your parents break down, you know, like when you see your parents cry. It just, it does something to you. We all had to be split up. I mean, we were living in a tiny, small apartment with my grandparents. We call, couldn't all live there. So one of my older brothers was living by my aunt. The other one was somewhere else. And like we were literally sleeping on one big bed, all of us. Uh, we didn't move back into our house all under the same roof for another six years. Six years. We were moving around. Yeah, I, I left, I was a sophomore in, in, in high school. I moved in while I was, I think it was a junior in college or something like that. I mean, it was completely a different person at that point. You know, not everybody was there. My brother got married and so on and so forth. But it was a, a very rough time. But that year specifically was a big, big shift for me because I didn't want to speak to my parents about what I was feeling. You know, they had so much going on. I didn't want to be a burden. And I couldn't talk to my friends because, you know, they didn't know what to say to me. Then They're going through their own adolescent issues. Like, they just try and change the subject. And so I kept everything in. And I'm sure as you know, and as many people know, when you try and keep things in for too long, it doesn't stay kept in. It's going to break you. And it did. And, uh, you know, a few months down the road, I went to sleep one night and I literally didn't wake up the next morning. I, I was what? in like a state of sleep. I didn't wake up the for, next morning. For how long? So it took, I was for two months, I was home from school. The next morning, that next morning, I remember they, my mom, you know, she, she's told me, she's like, we threw water on you and you wouldn't get up. And I was literally, I would wake up and for most of the day I would be sleeping. The rest of the day I would be crying. I fell into a very, very dark depression. Very, very, very dark. And I didn't want to go back to school together. I wanted to drop out of school. I was angry, angry at, my, angry at myself, angry at the world, angry at God, angry at people. I, I mean, I was a shy kid, but I always loved people people and what hurt me is one thing about the fire you know taking away those things but when I was home for two months not one person called not one person came to visit to see if I was okay 
So I guess, I mean, it really made me feel like, well, if I wasn't here tomorrow, would anybody even notice? Would anybody be the wiser? Does it even matter? So it made me start, start questioning, how can I even think that I, I have a big purpose in this world? Like no one, even, no one even knows if I'm here or not here. And so I fell into a very dark place. When I say dark, I mean suicidal thoughts dark. I didn't want to continue in, with this. I didn't want to continue with this life. I just wanted to give up. I wanted to drop out of school. I was forced to go back into school after a couple of months, but I wasn't that same. What was that like when you, when you went back into school? <sighs> that was so hard. I'll, I'll never, I, I remember, oh my gosh. I remember coming home from school First of all, number one, going to school itself. I wasn't, I would be like, you know, that kid dressed all in black in the corner writing morbid poetry. That was me. I was that kid. I was that kid in school. And I was always a happy person. Suddenly, it completely changed. I wouldn't talk to anybody. I wouldn't even take notes in class. I didn't care. I let my grades go. I, at that point, I was doing super well. I was, I was in the honors class at that point. I let my grades go completely. I didn't care. I didn't care. It didn't make a difference to me. I'd come home and I'd try to sit down to do homework. My body would shake and I would just start hysterical crying. And about a month into being back in school, I remember I was washing up one morning, getting ready for school. And I was like looking at myself in the mirror, you know, like really looking at myself, like looking into my eyes. And I didn't see myself. I didn't see that four-year-old kid that, you know, dreamed of changing the world looking back at me. It was like somebody stole her from me. It was like she was gone. And that honestly scared me more than anything. I look like a shell of a person. And I said to myself, I, I don't know how I got this far down. But you know, when you're so down, you just keep wanting to go further and further down. You don't want to pick yourself back up. I said, I don't know how I got this far down, but I can't let this be my end. This can't be like, okay, it's over. I can't. I have no clue how I'm going to pick myself back up. I literally let everything go. Everything. Grades, friends, family, everything. I said, but I made a promise to myself at 15. And it's a promise, honestly, that I've kept until this day. It's a promise that led me into teaching, like I told you earlier. It's a, it's a promise that's guided me to the work I do with Life Fest Inside, the work I do with kindness. And it's a promise that guides me every single morning to, to what's next to come that I don't even know about yet. And it was a promise to be there for people the way I wished, wished somebody would have been there for me. But more mm. than that, to see, to see people the way I wished somebody would have seen me. Because like, it felt like I fell through the cracks, like no one even saw. I had a hard time trusting people. So even if somebody came up to me, you know, oh, are you okay? Oh yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. And then they'd walk away and I'd be like, oh, in my head, I'm like, please don't stop asking. And then when they'd walk away, it was just more proof to me that nobody really cared. I really had a hard time believing people truly cared. That was, that was my big issue. And, and so you wanted to be somebody who genuinely, truly cared, the person that you wanted to be. I wanted to be that person. I wanted to be able to see what people didn't, you know, the people, what people felt but couldn't express because of something going on, to really see. And it's just, it's just putting a little bit more of attention, you know? And it's not easy, because you can't read people's minds. But when you become, when you're so sensitive, you also can, you're also sensitive to pick up on the small things that people say or don't say, and what that can mean. And I, I want it to be that for people. Because you've had this experience, because you hit that low point, does that mean that you're much more in tune with other people who are experiencing those same low points that 
you know, are maybe invisible to others? I'm going to say a thousand percent. I, I've always had it. Wow. Even before then, because I was always a very sensitive person. And I always liked to see what wasn't necessarily, you know, just written out. But that made it even more so. It was about picking up on those small things. And I think that, and I believe really that it was that that made me the kind of teacher that I was. I love, love, love my students. My students were my best friends. And it was about seeing the things that they wanted you to see, but they couldn't tell you, you know, and helping a person see the beauty within themselves. Because oftentimes we don't see that. We don't see the beauty within ourselves. And so what happened to me after this experience was that those next couple of years of high school, I was sort of like walking alone. And walking alone in high school is not an easy thing. Not having sort of a group of friends, it's not easy, but it gave me the greatest opportunity in the world. And honestly, it's an opportunity most of us don't even get to do as adults. And that's, you know, to fall in love with me for me. Not because I wanted to be accepted by that group or I wanted those, those people to think I was cool or I wanted to impress that person. It didn't matter because I was alone during that such a rough point. The only thing really that was there for me was me. And it was really for me. And again, for other people, it's different. But for me, like, you know, faith was a very big part of it. And my, my connection, my, my, my belief became so strong that, that I am meant for something. And not that I'm only meant for something, but that all of us are meant for something, for something unique and special that only we could bring into this world. And so I had the opportunity to really fall in love with me for me. And what happened was that I found my voice in that because I always had all of these thoughts and these ideas, you know, from as being a little kid, I thought it was normal, but you know, they were really just very deep. I was always a very deep person, very, you know, spiritual person, but I never had the ability to express what I felt. It just, it wouldn't come out of my mouth. I was so shy. And in my senior year of high school, something shifted. I was on a seminar with my school. We were, you know, with my classmates and we were in a circle and, and the, the teacher was talking about obstacles, overcoming obstacles. So I did something I never ever did before and I raised my hand. It was a huge oh. deal. Oh my gosh, I raised my hand. And I had something to contribute to the conversation. And what I found was that, you know, the weirdest thing is peers of mine, kids that I used to be so super intimidated from, were listening to me. And what's more, coming, after me, coming up to me afterwards and asking me for advice. And what I found was that the more I gave, the more I healed. And the more I gave, the more I healed. And I, I just became obsessed in love with this concept and this idea of giving. And understanding that when you give, the greatest thing happens you become to see your own potential. You see your own value. You're validated for the right reasons. It's not about what society tells us should validate us. You know, it's not about, okay, how much money we have or how popular we are, how many, you know, magazines we're on or how many people like our Instagram picture. I mean, those things are just the facade. They are. They're just the facade. We make it like those things matter on the outside. But externally, a person can have all of those things, but then go to bed and still cry themselves to sleep. Because the only person that could truly bring you happiness is you. It's only you. It comes from within. And the way that we feel that, the way that we understand and understand our value and our purpose in this world is through the kindness that we do, through the good that we bring into the world. Because in that moment, we catch a glimpse of our potential and we realize, wow, here's, how, here's what I'm worth. Yeah, I don't need to have a certain amount of money in my pocket. I don't need to have a certain career or certain title. I just have to be me. That's all I got to do. I just have to show up and be me because when I enter into a room, I impact change. That is true for each 
and every person. And only when, you, when a person truly understands their own value, really loves themselves. It's not arrogance. Arrogance and mm. confidence, people get them confused all the time, but they're <laughs> opposite of each other, you know? Confidence comes from strength. Arrogance comes from weakness. You know, a person that's arrogant makes people feel fearful. A person that's confident makes people feel loved, makes people feel equal. But when we truly have that love for us, then loving others is easy. It's so easy because it's natural. Because just as you see your value and the fact that you're like a piece of a puzzle, everyone else is a piece of a puzzle. Everyone else has a place. Everyone else matters. And just like pieces of a puzzle, you know, different shapes, different colors, but everyone the same size, no piece is more or less important than the other. If you're missing one piece, you're not hanging up that puzzle on your wall. It doesn't make a difference which piece it is, the middle piece, the side piece, it doesn't matter. And that's, that's the entire concept. That's the entire belief. And it, it did, it did spring about through this hardship. I have to say wow. that. And once you own it, that's it. Now it's yours. You know, yeah. now it's yours. And then it gave you a platform. It gave you an opportunity to be able to give to people because you ha- you'd had that experience and you could give and that allowed you to heal. And it's almost as if by having that difficult experience, you were given the tool to repair yourself. And that's it's so that's true. beautiful. It's so true. I know it's it doesn't seem like it when we're going through something bad, you know. You, the last thing you want to hear when you're going through something bad, oh yeah, everything is gonna be everything is gonna be good. Nobody wants to hear that. When you're going through it, it feels like garbage. It feels like garbage. But you know, sometimes the hardships that we go through, they help us tap into a potential within ourselves that we've never been able to tap into had we not been pushed there. Because it pushes us to the limits. It makes us find this strength this hidden strength that we have, that if we didn't, then we would just stay stagnant. We wouldn't be able to see what we really can do. And those hardships end up helping us help others uh, because that's where, we find, that's where we find their meaning. That's where we find their essence. That's where we find their strength. Mm. Hey, okay, so here's a question. If that's something that's difficult to hear when you're in that moment, if, if that's something that's difficult to hear when you're going through hell, What's something that would be good to hear in that moment? Awesome like, question. What's something? Well, the, way, the thing I always say is, let's say, for example, you have a friend or someone going through something. Don't worry about having, you know, and people get very awkward. They're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. You don't need to actually say anything. When somebody is going through something, what you really need to do is allow them to feel what they feel. First of all, validate their feelings. If, it's, if they're going through something tough, say, I know that you're going through something tough and there's nothing that I can say to make it better. Because that's true. Because nothing someone can say can make it better. The only person that can make something better is that person making the choice to do so. So by simply validating, the first step is to validate someone's feelings. Allow them to feel what they feel, even if you don't agree, or agree with it. A person is allowed to feel what they feel. They're allowed to feel anger. They're allowed to feel frustration. They're, they're allowed. That's the first step. The next step is to just listen. Even if they don't say anything to you, sit by their side. Wait for them to. I remember when I first started, you know, coming into this, like in my senior year, okay, I was, I was a, because I literally broke out of my shell in the craziest way in my senior year of high school. Like literally going from a person that doesn't speak to standing up and speaking in front of hundreds of, of people, you know, mentoring at-risk kids, getting involved in every sort of charity and after-school project I could. <laughs> Just in, in a couple of months after that seminar I told you about, I was, on, I was an advisor on a seminar for, for sophomores, 
Okay, 15, so again, same uh, people that were my situation just two years back. And there was a girl on the seminar, okay? And she was going through a lot of hardship, a lot of hardship in her, in her personal life with her family. I mean, it just it really intense. And I could tell that something was up, even though she made it like everything was okay. I remember we were, you know, because they put us up on a seminar, they put us up like in people's houses, so we stayed by people's houses. I stayed up with her the entire night, the entire, like, I refused to, like, she, you know, she kept saying, no, it's okay, it's okay, leave me, I'm, I, don't, I don't care, whatever. She kept making it like nothing is wrong. I just sat there. I sat there for, like, four hours. I didn't say a word. I didn't say a word. But I have to say, you know, and she's told me this herself, and from there, a really great friendship emerged, but that's exactly what she needed. Sometimes people just need you to sit there, to know that you're there, to know that you're not going anywhere. Because some people are, are like how I was, where I was testing somebody. Do you really care? You're just saying this. And then sometimes all we need to do is, is just sit there, is be by a person's side. Let them speak. Allow them to feel heard. That in itself is the greatest thing. Because you're not going to change what's going on in their life. But you can allow them to feel that they're supported. That's actually the whole concept of of life vest inside. The, the name, life vest inside. That, that's the exact concept. The idea is, you know, our life vest, our, our ability to stay afloat in this world is inside of us. It's through the kindness that we give to others and through the kindness that others give to us that we keep each other afloat in this world. Because we're not gonna be able to prevent the obstacles and the mishaps and the curveballs from coming our way. But what we can do, what we have the ability to do is to throw somebody a life vest. So even they're surrounded by those waters, they're surrounded by those troubles. They feel as though they're drowning in a world that they don't understand. That little kindness, that little lifeline of kindness, that life vest, is the difference between life and death. It's what gives them the hope to know everything is going to be okay. Our greatest thing is our life vest is inside of us. It's just through what we give. So when someone is going through those hardships and they find themselves surrounded by these troubles, just being there, just being there is the life vest that they need to keep on going. Man. That's so good. And I mean, I've got to say, I've, I've read your book. I watched your TED talk. I've heard that part of the story of, of how the name came to be. And I just got goosebumps that, like while you said it again. So I love that. It's such a powerful idea. Walk me through the process of deciding to become a teacher. Did you decide in that moment at, you wow. know? So, wow. This is a crazy story. I, well, I always love kids. Always. Always love. I'm like I'm the biggest kid. I always say I'm a nine year old kid. That's the, that's the age I'll continue to be <laughs> for sure. That's the age I'll continue to stay at. But I love kids, and there's so much power. I feel like it's the children of this world that are going to change the world because we have to continue to to foster that belief in the goodness, even when we get older and we can sometimes become bitter and cynical. I would always tell my students, don't ever lose sight of your of your dreams and your goals because people are going to try and steal them from you and tell you it's not possible. So teaching was something I always knew I was going to go into. But uh, really, when I first started, I started out. I, I was in. I went to to college for film production. I majored in film production in English, so I didn't major in teaching, actually. But what I, I always loved film. I wanted to be able to communicate a message, to give a message across, and understanding that media is the greatest way to do so. And it, again, everything always comes back to teaching, that any sort of talent I, I've, I've acquired or skill, it was always about utilizing it to teach, to teach a good lesson. So when I was in college, when I, right when I graduated, 
I knew that I wanted to be involved in film, loved film, uh, but it was very, it was something that like my family was super against and like, oh, what are you doing? You know, it would kill me for, for these things. But I also knew I loved teaching. So I made a proclamation, it's funny. I mean, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna make a film that's gonna reach the world. I said this, I remember I graduated college, I remember saying this. I said, I wanna make a film that's gonna reach the world and then I'm gonna go into teaching because I still love teaching. It's not like I'm settling for something. I love it, I love kids. It turned out that my, you know, what I had proclaimed was the exact opposite. I ended up first going into teaching and then making a film. But the way that I got this job was the craziest way ever. I, you know, I didn't go to school for education, but I was always, throughout my college years, I was always tutoring kids and working with kids, constantly working with, uh, you know, organizations within my community, dealing with kids and teenagers and so on and so forth. And uh, the school, you know, had called me up to be the coach of their basketball team right when I graduated college. And I said, all right, this is a great opportunity to get my foot in the door. And I put my name to be like a substitute if they needed. That September, like right when I graduated, they call me up. They're like, how would you like to teach sixth, seventh, and eighth grade for six, six weeks straight, six different preps? I'm like, what? <laughs> That's amazing. It was, it was insane. It happened to be that my cousin was in the principal's office at the time, and there was a teacher going on maternity leave, and they needed somebody. And he suggested me, and they're like, get her on the phone. So they called me up. I'm like, this is crazy. And I remember going into my first day of school. I was 21 years old when I first went into my first day of teaching. No. And my cousin wow. was actually one of my students. They were 13. I was 21. <laughs> I was scared out of my mind. You don't understand. Uh, and you probably just had to pretend that you were way older than you were. Because if they knew, they'd be like. Oh, no, no, not at all. They really, I'm telling you, when I say my students, my best friends, we were really so close. It was just, <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. And I connected so much. I was so scared that first day. And then the school offered me to teach full time. And I was directing the plays in the school. So it filled that creative energy I, I loved. And, and I was also teaching, which I absolutely loved. Because the concepts that I'm talking about here, the concepts of kindness, compassion, empathy, the concepts of empowerment, these were things I was implementing every day in my classroom. It wasn't like, you know, once a month or, oh, we're going to talk about kindness today. It was embedded in every single lesson, everything that we did. And it was, I, I have to say, my years teaching were definitely the most transformative of my life, of my wow. life. And it's, it was an important step I needed to take. Life Lesson Side, the organization actually started with my students different projects I did with my students, like the acts of kindness cards that we now use in the organization. These are things I started in my classroom. Even the story of behind Life Eston's side that happened on a plane, uh, if we have time, I'll, I'll tell you the story, but yeah, even that do. story took place, that was in 2007, it was while I was teaching, and the story was an inspirational story I told in my classrooms that ended up turning into this organization. I remember coming to class, you know, towards the end before I decided to make this leap, you know, even like, all right, guys, what do you think about this logo? And I was like, they were working with me on the organization. Like, I started it there. And the film, Kindness Boomerang, that you mentioned, I shot that during my summer off of teaching. Right after I shot that, I went back into teaching that September and it was then that I decided, I said, if I believe in this enough, I got to go all in. And in about November, December time, I went to the school, to the principal, to tell him I was taking the following year off to see what would happen. 
I was so scared. They didn't believe I was leaving. I didn't believe I was leaving. I was like, I'm going to try this. If I, I said, if I believe in this enough, this has been a dream of mine ever since I was a little kid. I, I don't want this to be, you know, an I could have, should have, would have situation. I'd rather try. And if I fail, it's not a failure because I tried. And so I took that following year off and posted the film online without knowing who would see it or how they would see it or what. I knew nothing about social media whatsoever. Like seriously, I had to like YouTube a video of how to upload a video to YouTube. I knew nothing (laughs) about it. I knew nothing about, if I wanted to talk to someone, I picked up the phone, I called them. I wasn't sending them a Facebook message, you know? So it it was pretty wild how far the film reached within the first couple months it went viral. And I just thought it was normal. I was like, all right, this is what happens when you put a video on YouTube. I was just, all I would do 24, 22 out of the 24 hours of a day, literally, I was responding to comments. Just responding to comments on YouTube and connecting with thousands of people around the world that connected to the message and were speaking words of kindness. And it didn't matter what language they were speaking in. Google Translate became my best friend. And it didn't matter what religion they were from or what their views were or what race they were. Every person was speaking the language of kindness. And that was exactly what I wanted. And even when fights would sometimes break out on the comments, I mediated everything. I would get an opportunity to see how somebody that came off negative would all of a sudden flip to be positive. How? by simply engaging them in kind words, by simply shifting perspective. And it starts with, again, validating what a person feels. If a person's angry, they're allowed to feel angry. You're not gonna tell someone to not be angry. You know, but allowing them to feel what they feel and then offering them another perspective and still allowing them to feel what they feel afterwards. And it was wild. I mean, I saw so much connection and so much you know, beauty blossom from just that one video. But it wasn't just the film, it was the entire methodology and the philosophy of the organization, which was not just to inspire people, because you know, inspiration's awesome, it's great, but inspiration fades. And we all know what that's like, you know? We get inspired to we go on a seminar, we hear a lecture, we hear, and we want to change our whole world around after, and then you know, two days later, it's back to the same thing. Inspiration is great, but if you don't immediately, you know, in a sense, turn that inspiration to action, even in a small way, you lose it. It, it, it fades. And that's a very big part of the methodology behind the organization. So it, inspiration is the first step. It's not the end game. You have to inspire, but then you have to engage people in a way that they can incorporate that change into their own life on their own terms. Build trust. Trust to me is like number one. So our, I don't, our fans, I don't really call them fans. These are our fa- family, our, our friends. We really connect. I really love these people. And when trust is built, now a person's willing to listen to what you have to say. And the most important thing I have to say is not the word kindness. It's the word empowerment. Because Tell the me entire, more about that. The basis of this organization is about empowering people to understand that they matter, that they are significant, that they're value, valuable, that each person is, like I said before, a piece of the puzzle, that even though they might be one in seven billion The number that matters the most is that they're one. And instead of trying and fighting so hard to want to be the next guy, just want to be you. Wake up in the morning and say, wow, I'm psyched to be me. Because if we're going to try and want to be someone else, who's going to be us? If we're here, if you wake up in the morning and you take a deep breath in and you have air in your lungs, 
That's proof that you are here for a reason, that there's something that you're meant to bring into this world that nobody else can. That's powerful. And when we simply empower people to understand that, then the opportunities and possibilities are endless. And what we do is we increase the pool of givers in the world. I'm gonna say that again, because it's so important. We increase the pool of givers in the world. A giver doesn't have to be somebody that's a millionaire. It doesn't have to be somebody that has a lot of money in their pocket. A giver is anybody. Even a person that's homeless on the street. Every person has something that they can give into this world. We are all interconnected. If a person gets a you know, paper cut on their finger, they feel not, it's not just their finger, oh, they feel not right. It, like, ugh, it's annoying, it bothers them. Why? Because it's a body, the body feels everything. We are all interconnected. We may not live right next door to each other, but when something is, is, is in pain in one place, it ends up affecting all of us. And I believe that the world is moving towards a consciousness of just how interconnected we are. And the fact that we have what we need within this world, we have the resources, the manpower. We have all that we need to actually repair all the damage and be able to really make this world flourish. We just have to become more and more conscious of it because it's the truth. It's not easy. It's not easy to get to that point. But it's only once, and, and it starts with a person understanding their place within it all, understanding their value. The minute a person understands their value, now they can become a giver. Now imagine all the new technologies that will be able to be created. Imagine all the new innovations. But if we place people down and we make them feel like they can't amount to anything, stay where you are, stay where you are, low to the ground, this is all you can do, and that's it. No. And it doesn't mean that your profession has to be, you know, you don't have to quit your job like I did and start a nonprofit. You just have to be you. And, and your job that you do, you, you impact people through the simple things that you do in your day. It's through the smile that you give, the way that you greet people. The simple, simple things. How you look at the world, but the only way that you can look at the world with positivity and optimism is if you first look at yourself with that optimism. Not criticizing, we all make mistakes. I mean, we all have flaws. And I know what it's like. I mean, and it's not, it's not like a, you know, this is not like a video game that once you get to the point of, okay, now I believe in myself, I'm done. <laughs> you know, finished, done, over. It's not, it's a constant struggle. I struggle with it. So just because I built that confidence back when I was in high school in my senior year, does that mean that I don't sometimes feel inadequate? Of course not. That would be a lie. Yeah, there are days where I question my value and worth. It's only the truth to say that. There are days where I don't feel great about who I am. Yeah, but that's okay. That's okay. Everyone does. And I think the most important thing is to understand that everyone does. Even the person you think is the most optimistic person, even the person that you, you know, you're like, wow, oh, they're living the life. Everybody has those days. And it's okay to feel those feelings. But it's how we get ourselves out of those. Understanding that we can, it's, it's finding that strength within us. And so... That to me is, is so, so important because the amount of good that we can then bring, wow. Kindness is the tool that we use to empower, but empowerment is the key to it all. This is how we make a difference together as a world, by cheering each other on in our successes, understanding that one person doesn't have to be down for another to be up, even though that's been ingrained in us in society for years and years and years. So we have to undo that. And I believe that we're moving in that direction of showing how the success of one can be the success of another. Our success is only based on collective. 
that we are stronger when we're, when we're united. We're stronger when we're together. We're stronger when everyone is strong. That's when we're the strongest. No one can break us apart. If you think about it, if you take a book, okay, and I tell you, I want you to take this book, and I want you to rip this book in half. You won't be able to do it. If I give you a book and say, take my book, if you have it next to you, try and t- taking from try rip it. You can't do it. You won't be able to I do it. I literally have your book next to me and I'm so trying to rip try it, which rip feels it. terrible. It, can't, it doesn't work. <laughs> but but if, I, if I, you opened up the pages and you tried and ripping page at a time, it will work. Because together, when we're together, we are strong. We're unbreakable. When we're separated, when we separate each other, and things like, you know, jealousy separates us. Things like arrogance separates us. All these types of things, they separate us. But when we are together, wow. What we can do, it's crazy. It's beyond understanding. That's what I'm excited about. That's the world I'm excited about. Man, I love that. That gets me excited. So you created this like organization, this movement called Life Best Inside on a really practical level. You know, we've got this high level idea of let's fill the world with more kindness. Let's empower people to know their true value. But tell me, like, when you really narrow things down, what's the specific actions that you're trying to take towards that? Obviously, you've got the film, the inspiration, and then the action steps. But what does that look like right now? For sure, for sure. So the way I explain it, and I touched on it just a little, but the way I explain it is really through four words. So I'll give you the overview and then more the specifics. And that's, like I said earlier, inspire. First, you have to inspire people to believe, to believe that change is possible, to believe that kindness is the way to get us there. Then you have to engage them by giving them those tools to actually be able to incorporate that change. Educate, where you're actually incorporating this concept, this idea of the fact that you matter. And then unite, where they go now out into the world. They They become that kind leader and they can go ahead and inspire others to take that same exact route. So now, how, what are the practical things? So on the Inspire level, we do that through two means. Through, through film, putting out films like Kindness Boomerang, doing films of this nature that really connect with people on a very one-to-one basis. Through social media, uh, you know, in terms of, it's not just about the posting, it's not just about social, it's about really the f- friends, family, connecting to people, hearing everything, hearing what people are saying, that no comment gets left behind, that every person gets a response, that we see those people that, you know, in a sense, fall through the cracks. Those are the people that I'm looking for, the people that, that fall through the cracks for others. Once you inspire someone and they now they, con- they come on board, we have various different initiatives on the engaged level and others that people can create. It doesn't just have to be our way or the highway. It could be anything. So, for example, we, every day we have something called the daily kind. Let's say somebody wants to just get involved very briefly. They can sign up for our daily kind. What it, it's, it's, it's a daily newsletter. Every day you get an act of kindness, a positive affirmation, uh, a quote, and a kindness media, something positive that's going on in the world around us. Because again, like you know, we were saying earlier is that you know, like attracts like. So if you're looking for good, you're going to see more goodness come, come at you. And so kindness is really about an awareness. If you increase your awareness, you're more likely to see those opportunities. So you ever notice how if somebody introduces you to a song, now you start hearing it everywhere? It's it's because the song was playing the whole time. Your awareness is increased simply because it was mentioned to you. So the purpose of the daily kind now that a person's inspired is to help increase their awareness. Even if they're just reading it and they're not doing it, it's still 
affects them because yeah, that makes sense. It, it happens slowly. It happens slowly and slow change is the change I love, you know, because instant gratification, even though it feels like, oh, it's great instant gratification, something can change instantly back the other way. Slow progression is really how you create long lasting change. That's my belief. Slow progression is really how you create long lasting change. That's so good. It's, it's very much so. And then there's, and then we have our kindness ambassador program. People can sign up to be an ambassador and they get connected with, uh, all global, our global ambassadors, we have ambassadors in over 120 countries, connecting with people from different re- religions, backgrounds, races, ethnicities, because, you know, it's my belief, education is really the key to tolerance. When people start to create dialogue amongst one another from people of different backgrounds and, and see what a person is like, not the label that we all associate with that person or with, with their background, but actually be able to, to educate people. Now... Now, tolerance comes about because why education? You know, if a person is fearful, if you think about this for a moment, the the philosophy behind this, okay? If a person doesn't truly believe in what they believe, if they're not secure in their beliefs, they're fearful that someone else's beliefs are going to infringe upon theirs. So what is the natural instinct? The natural instinct is to force your beliefs down the throat of someone else. Why? Because you're so afraid that that person's beliefs are going to affect yours. So now you start going on the defensive. But if you really were secure in your beliefs, a person that's really secure in their beliefs is okay with someone believing differently. So simple and so true. And we could take it into today's world of everything going on. If a person is secure in what they believe, it's okay for someone to believe differently than you do. It doesn't have to be... you know, proper dialogue is able to actually ensue. But if a person is not, so the whole idea is really having a person become able to become more secure in their thoughts. So they don't feel, they don't feel that need to shove their, their views down, down another person's throat. It's okay. We're all going to be different. I mean, you know, there's 7 billion of us. There's going to be differences, but that's okay. As long as we create dialogue, as long as we're able to communicate that is the key to everything. So that's a very big part of the kindness ambassador program. People coming together, they have like a weekly kindness task, but the beauty of it is our closed group where ambassadors are able to share into a really supportive network with people from all over. And suddenly these labels disappear. These barriers break down and people are connecting with one another. We also have our dance for kindness event, which is a, a way to take the, di- the digital world and bring it to the physical so our, our ambassadors, is, it's a digital program, you know, but our Dance for Kindness event, it's a worldwide flash mob that kicks off World Kindness Week. It takes place every year in November. This year was our fifth annual, and we had it in over 100, 120 cities, 50 countries, all on the same day to the same song and the same dance. It was a global flash mob to kick off World Kindness Week. Oh my gosh, it is so beyond fun, and people pledge to do various acts of kindness and it takes place in like large city centers within each city group leaders that are basically ambassadors or fans of the organization friends of the organization organize these events in their locations so whether people take part in participating or somebody takes part in leading it's all volunteer run the entire thing we've had group leaders from age 10 to age 76 it's it was, i can't tell you how awesome this you know this one event is and what it's had the opportunity to, to, you know, to do. 
Uh, and then we have also, and I'll only mention one other thing, we have our Project Hope Exchange platform. So this is a 30-second way to, to create an impact in this world. What is Project Hope Exchange? Everybody's gone through adversity, right? I shared the adversity that I went through. The likelihood is there are other people facing that, that have faced that same adversity, that had a fire in their home, or, or went through depression, or had suicidal thoughts. So Project Hope Exchange is a platform where we basically collect, aggregate, and share 30-second anonymous audio messages of hope from people that have been through adversity to others that are currently going through the same adversity. Wow. It's, That's this amazing. is awesome. You have to check it out. You can leave a 30-second anonymous audio message, and all the messages are vetted. And then if somebody wants to get hope, they click on get hope, and they can select from one of the buckets, whether it be physical health, mental health, or life challenges. And a drop-down comes, comes, uh, comes along with the specifics. So if somebody, for example, clicks on physical health and they click on cancer, it'll now sort through all of the audio messages in the system left by people that have gone through cancer, are going through cancer, or have a family member that's going through it. And you can hear these 30-second nuggets of hope from someone that is in the same place as you. So you know how we were talking earlier that nobody wants to hear somebody say, oh, it's going to be okay? It's very different when, we, when we're speaking to somebody that's where we are or where we were. Their words hold something different to us. There's that camaraderie that happens. So somebody that's non, not gone through you know, a fire in their house, hearing from someone, you know, is not going to be able to provide the same sort of hope or comfort potentially than somebody that has sharing it with another person. So that's Project Hope Exchange. It's a 30-second act of kindness that lives, leaves exponential value for, for years and years. So there's different types of things like that are the engagement part, like simple things, like easy to, easy to get involved in, doesn't take a lot of your time, you know. And then educate, we have an educational kindness curriculum that we bring into the schools uh, that can be implemented in any school um, where, that brings kindness, compassion, and empathy directly into the curriculum. Or even in businesses, incorporating a kindness culture within to the workplace. So there are so many initiatives in that regard. And then our finally, our representative program is our most engaged and enthused group leaders and kindness ambassadors can become representatives of the organization in their city and have their, kind, their city, in a sense, become coined as a kindness city, bringing on-the-ground initiatives to their city on a year-round basis because they'll know what kindness means in their city more than we do. Because kindness does mean something different here than it means in you know, Argentina or it means in Portugal. It, it does mean something different. So our representatives live in those cities and actually bring the initiatives on the ground full scale. Because once we do that, when we have a presence, what we do is we end up helping the local community because what we're doing is, like I said, increasing the pool of givers. Now a person's understanding their value. They want to give back. We're telling them, go give back to your local community. Here are the different organizations. Go and get involved in your local community. And that's how the message continues to spread and continues to impact large change in various portions of the world. Man, that is all so cool. I love so much that you're doing this. Oh, thank you so much. I'm sorry I'm talking so much, my goodness. No. Oh my gosh. No, I'm thrilled. You're, you're a fantastic storyteller, a fantastic communicator. Oh, thank you so much. What's it like to have kind of gone through this like was such a grand transition in your life from going from being optimistic and hopeful to it all crashing down to getting to use what you've learned from building yourself back up to, to create something that actually impacts people in huge ways. What, what do you feel like right now? I can't tell you, honestly, it's, um, 
It's the greatest feeling. The reason it's, and you know, we oftentimes don't get those opportunities to stop and look back. And this is a message that I think a lot of us need to hear, myself included. So often we're, we're, we keep moving forward and keep moving forward. Like there's so much left that I know I need to do. There's so much ahead of me that I don't even know yet in terms of where I feel like my, my role and my position is to, to really make this world a better place. I mean, I know it's just, it's, I'm just touching the surface, but it's very important. And what you said is, is it really makes me think because it's important to stop oftentimes and reflect on how far we've come and celebrate our wins and our accomplishments. Again, it's important to do that because it does give us the momentum to propel us forward. So really looking back and, and, and seeing uh, everything that's happened, I can't tell you the, the amount of joy I feel, but I feel very lucky. I, don't, I know that it's, this is not me. I know that that makes no sense sometimes when I say it to people, but I know that you know, this has been a part of me ever since I was younger, but I wouldn't be able to do the things I'm doing without everybody. There's just no way. If I didn't have the people believing in, in, in what I'm doing, I wouldn't be able to do it. I really, it's, I do not attest this success to myself. I don't, because it's not. It, you know, and, and, and thinking that way would be a complete misconception. I feel lucky to have the opportunity to be on this journey, to be given the opportunity to do this. I feel very privileged. And that's why I always feel like this huge sense of responsibility that I want to do right by everyone that's been, belie- that's been believing in me just as much as they're believing in the message. And that's really what pushes me forward because it's not easy. It's been, t- it's been tough. There have been a lot of hardships over these past six years doing this, you know, uh, you know leaving my job, investing all my savings into this, not, not pulling it. It's been six years I haven't pulled a salary from the organization. So there's a lot of hardship, a lot of discouragement from sometimes the people that are closest to us thinking that we're nuts. Like, what do you think you're doing? You're going to change the world? <laughs> really? No. So there's a lot of discouragement from people, not because they don't believe in you, but when people discourage you, it's just a reflection of the fact that they don't believe that they can. So how could they believe that you can? But it, it has. It's, it's, it's a really amazing feeling. And I'm excited to see where it's going to go because I know that there's more to this. There's more to the story. And in, in another, in May, actually, I'm going to be heading out on a cross-country tour around the U.S. Wow. A six-week tour. This came about only within the past month. Um, going and speaking in, it's going to be called the Kindness Boomerang, listening and sharing tour. So going and speaking in schools and in companies and community centers and engaging with other kind doers and thought leaders and engaging in various kindness activities to bring kindness consciousness to the U.S. and, of course, to the world at large and discussing how we can increase kindness perception. Uh, because recently, back in you know September of 2016, I was appointed as the CEO of Kindness USA, and it's, uh, it's basically connected to a company called dreamstore.me. Very briefly, what they've done is they measured the kindness index within the U.S. There is a kindness index, a kindness perception index. That oh my, You would love to see this. Yeah. Uh, and it, I'm going to send you a link to it, the kindness perception index. And you can find it on dreamstore.me. But basically, what they did is measured the kindness index within the U.S. And what they found was that although 75% of people say that they're kind, only 25% of people, adults within the U.S., that's roughly 50 million adults, perceive that they're living in a kind USA, in a kind society, leaving 75% of people to feel that they're living in an unkind society. That's a huge gap. 
So the goal of Kindness USA is to increase kindness perception in the U.S. from the year 2017 to the year 2027, from 25% to 80%. That's a big, big number jump. But it's, I mean, oh my God, it's, it's amazing. You got to check it out because you'll see exactly how it works and what it's about. And if there's time, I'm happy to, ch to chat about it. But this tour is going to give me the opportunity to talk about that as well and really to start creating dialogue with people around these topics. Um, but again, the empowerment is the key force that drives all of this. Uh, if people are living their purpose, then we're living a better world. As long as they're living their purpose, and the only way to live their purpose is to believe that they have a reason to be living and to believe that there's something that they can give into this world that no one else can. Man, that's so good. That's so good. Uh, it's very exciting. I'm really excited. It's so cool to think, you know, you said this a minute ago, that you cannot be necessarily held responsible for who you've become. It's been the product of all of the people around you. And yeah. I think that's such a cool and encouraging way to look at life to think, man, you know, if Orly became as awesome as she is because of the people around her, like, what can I do to impact the people around me? Whether, you know, I have a close relationship with them or they're a stranger, everything you do can have some small effect on, you know, how people become who they become. Outside of that, though, I wanted to ask, you know, for somebody who wanted to follow in your footsteps, not necessarily to become Orly, but to become themselves in the way that you've become yourself and kind of lived into yourself in a more full way. What advice would you give to people? What's like a practical action step that people could take to live into uh, living a life full of kindness? I say that the first thing, number one, believing yourself. I know that's a very, very broad term. It's not an easy thing. And there are going to be hardships that are going to come across to make you stop believing in yourself and make you call it quits. It's not easy. But it is the greatest thing that you can possibly have. To have that belief in yourself and to have the passion and the drive knowing what you want to fulfill, that's an amazing recipe to be able to head there. But I would say that the, the most important thing is baby steps. It's very important because when we want to sometimes achieve something great, right, and just like I was saying earlier with inspiration, how inspiration can fade. When we want to achieve something so great, we make this big goal, right? But we forget to look at the little steps that get us there. If we're going to make that big goal and we don't get to it right away, we get discouraged and we give up on the whole thing. So have the big goal. Dream big. That's good. But take the baby steps. Look at it one step at a time. And don't forget to stop while you're taking those baby steps and when you see the gap between where you are and where you want to be, don't look ahead at that gap. Stop and take a look behind you at how far you've come. Looking at the gap can sometimes crush us and make us stop in our tracks. So don't compare your rate of progress to somebody else that's in the same field. It's very easy in today's world of digital media to do that. We go on and we see somebody else's account. How come they have all these followers? How come they have all these people liking their stuff? How come they have all this? How come they have all this success, but I've been doing it for so much long, I've been putting all my heart? Don't do that. It's so easy to fall into that trap. Don't be that person. Be you. Be you. And, and, and remember that, like I said, it's the, it, it, when you focus on what you've done, that energy will propel you forward in a positive way. Always work off of the abundance factor, not of the lack factor. 
You know, so you, if you're feeling like you're sacrificing as opposed to working from abundance, that's an indicator to stop, to stop right away and figure out what's happening. That to me is, you know, I think it's such an important lesson. And it's a lesson, you know, with hope. We, we, we speak to ourselves in, in our messages of hope. So I'm speaking to myself too. This is a message that I think we all need to always remember. Oh my goodness. This episode was just seriously so full of little nuggets of wisdom. So many good things. Honestly, I listened to the episode twice to take notes on her words of wisdom. I normally listen to the episode once, make sure everything is good, make sure that the edit's solid. But I listened again, which is so awkward because I'm in it and I have to like listen to myself. But well, he's just so good. And I had to take notes on the things that she said. Her story is amazing. I love it so much. I specifically love this idea of focusing more on empowerment than kindness. Really, kindness is a tool for empowerment. And I think that that's what changed the game for me. It's an opportunity to show people what they're truly worth, what they're truly capable of. Oh my gosh, it just blew my mind. She also had this great concept on the difference between confidence and arrogance. And I'd never heard that spelled out like that before. I think that that's such a cool idea. If you want to follow along with the amazing work that Orly is doing, you should absolutely check out Life Best inside her organization. You can follow them online all over the internet. It's spelled just like it sounds, Life Best inside. Uh, and on their website, you can totally watch her amazing film that she talked about in this episode. And you can also order her book, Kindness Boomerang, that we also talked about. It's fantastic. It's got all kinds of little tools for how to fill the world with kindness. And what I think is really valuable about it is that you can thumb through, you can read some ideas on ways to fill the world with kindness. And you might not actually take action on those things right away, but you'll have them in the back of your mind for when an opportunity presents itself. And it's already been really practical and helpful for me. So again, lifevestinside.com on social media, the whole deal. It's awesome. If you want to follow me online, I'm at Brandon Harvey everywhere. And you should absolutely go and support our Kickstarter for the good newspaper, which in so many ways is just a manifestation of the things that we believe in on this podcast. I cannot wait for it to show up in your hands. So many of you have already ordered and I've noticed, I've seen your names, they pop up on my phone. It's unreal. Like I cannot believe I haven't turned off notifications yet, but it makes me smile every time. So go subscribe, make my phone light up. Good newspaper. Co. It'll redirect you straight to the Kickstarter campaign. It's super easy. And again, we just got one week left. So you've got to subscribe now. Otherwise, you're going to have to pay a little bit more and nobody wants to do that. So goodnewspaper.co. Once again, thank you so much to everybody who listens to the podcast. I really appreciate all of you. I'm so thankful for this incredible community who believes in focusing on the good in the world. So with all that said, go out and do some good this week. And we'll be back next week with another inspiring conversation with an incredible person. Sound good?